morning. Um, Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 1, please, for our scripture reading today. John chapter 1, and from verse number 29. The next day, he, that is uh, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts uh, today. Uh, My introduction today uh, is going to be exactly the same introduction that I gave a couple of weeks ago. At that time, we were speaking from verse 14. The Word became flesh. And I said, you know, this is one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. We've just now read from verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I'm going to say exactly the same thing when I introduce this. It's one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. It it brings to a kind of conclusion one of the main themes that run right from the beginning and on to the uh, the end of the, the, the Word of God in all its totality. This great theme of the Lord Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These these were the words of John the Baptist. It's quite interesting when you just read down this. Um, He says this in the middle of three consecutive days. You don't often kind of get that kind of detail in the gospel accounts in the life of Christ. But we know that there are three days in a row that are being described here. Because verse 29 starts by saying the next day. And then when you get down to verse number 35, it says the next day again. And in fact, on that third day, he's actually going to repeat the very same thing. Because if you just read down there, he also says in verse 36, Behold the Lamb of God. So it's a major part of what John the Baptist is is all about. And John, by saying this, is actually carrying out his his raison d'etre. You know, it's his, his main function. It's what he is all about This, above everything else, sums up uh, the reason John is there. He is the introducer of Christ. He is the herald of Christ. In the old days, you know, when they used to have a king coming, they would send a herald out before him and he would make the announcement that the king was coming. And, And John, effectively, is acting in this way. He is the official introducer and presenter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in, in a sense, what he's doing when he says, Behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, you know, let's clear the stage. 
No? And let's bring him into center stage here. And let's have the spotlight play upon him. And I'd like to make my presentation. Let me introduce to you all now, at this point, here he is, the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sin of the world. And after John does that, actually, John kind of merges into the background, and we don't actually read an awful lot more about him. He was a bright and a shining light, and he burned brightly for a short period of time, and then, and then he just went away because his job was done. He had been very clear, hadn't he? We found that out last week. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice. But as the voice, he's strong and he's clear and he's definite in the introductions that he makes about the Lord Jesus as he presents him as the the Lamb of God. So, I mean, what we're going to do this morning, by and large, is going to focus on that one verse. And we're going to just take it kind of clause by clause as we go through the verse, just to try and, and, and grapple and grasp the significance of what John was actually announcing on that particular day, because it's an announcement that comes to us as well again uh, this morning. So I'd like us, first of all, to think about the phrase, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Now, this is not a random name. It's very interesting. The Lord Jesus has many different names, very many titles that are given to him. We've already discovered, as we started off our chapter, that he's referred to as the Word of God. And now he's referred to again as the Lamb of God. And he's going to be referred to, at the end of our reading, as the Son of God. It's not a random title. Um, It doesn't refer just to the fact that Jesus was gentle, you know, like a lamb, that he was meek, that he wasn't violent, wasn't aggressive. It's it's got much more to it than that. As I said earlier, it is picking up on a highly significant theme that actually is introduced to us right at the very start in the very opening book of the Bible, Genesis, and it's developed all the way through right to the book of Revelation. And it finds its climax here in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just try and show you what I mean by that, the significance of this title that John uses when he makes this um, announcement. We go back to the book of Genesis. And we pick up the story about Abraham and Isaac. Isaac, his son, asks a question as they climb up the mountain range of Moriah. And he says to his father, I know we're going up to present a sacrifice to God today. And I see that we've got some of the equipment that's required. We've got fire. Uh, We've got wood here. But where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? We don't have any animal with us today. And the reply that Abraham gave had more significance than he, I think, understood at the time. His answer was this, that God himself will provide a lamb for a burnt offering. And um, that pointed forward to this occasion. The provision of a lamb for a burnt offering who would be given as a substitute instead of the sin of the world. Because on that occasion, Isaac had been bound to the altar. 
And at the last moment, a substitute was found for him. Not a lamb, actually, but a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And the ram died instead of Isaac. But the provision of God is for a lamb as a substitute to stand in the place of and be offered instead of sinners in the world. Fast forward to the next book in the Bible, the book of Exodus. We find ourselves, along with the children of Israel, in bondage in Egypt. And uh, the plagues begin to fall on that country. And we're now, after nine of them, and the land is virtually devastated, we come to the final one, the death of the firstborn son. And God gives his message through Moses. And he tells them that what you have to do here is you've got to take a lamb. A lamb that has to be scrutinized to make sure there's no defect. And you've got to look at it for four days. And on that final day, you've got to kill that lamb. And you've got to put its blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And you've got to stay inside that house, sheltering, in a sense, underneath the blood. God said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this became, of course, the start of the Passover feast. And on that night, the angel of death passes through. And only those who have blood on the houses have their firstborn spared. There's great anguish in the land of Egypt. Crying that goes up from the palace of the king down to the the poorest in the land. The firstborn dies where there is no blood, where there has been no lamb whose blood had been shed. A lamb for a house. And that points forward to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, who has been sacrificed for us. Not for a house but for a world who takes away the sin of the world. And year after year, Passover lambs were offered throughout the land. Multiple lambs taken and their lives given and the blood applied. And and none of these lambs could ever totally remove sin. How can an animal deal with the issue of humanity's sin, the sin of my soul? And yet standing now upon the stage of history is the ultimate person characterized by this title and epitaph of being the lamb that all of these instances was actually pointing to in its ultimate form as John introduces him. Isaiah the prophet in a time of national calamity had spoken in his great 53rd chapter of the fact that the Messiah who would come would be a suffering servant and how like a lamb before his shearers was dumb, so he would not open up his mouth. And we learn that the Lord Jesus Christ in First Peter chapter 1 is the one who is able to redeem us from the empty way of life that has been passed down to us from our fathers and redeem us not with corruptible things, perishable things like silver or gold, but with his precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And and, and this great 
significant picture builds up and builds up and it finds its conclusion at this moment, at the presentation. And we look on him and we see the emphasis that is actually not so much upon the life of Christ. Not so much upon the moral teaching of Christ or of the example that he gave. But it's the death of Christ that is being emphasized as the lamb who is slain. That is the point. That is the emphasis as John introduces him to us. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let's think about that now. We look around us. Uh, We see everything. We know about history. We're not idiots. And example after example comes before us of humanity's greed, uh, of injustice, and of wickedness all over the world. Violence, selfishness, we go on and on about it. And it's what the Bible, of course, defines as as sin. Sin is the greatest problem of our world. It's the greatest problem of our own hearts. You know, if we're honest, a lot of the things that we see played out, yes, we know that education and health and you know, money can help a lot of them, but at the root of it all is this whole issue of sin. So let's just try and understand what the Bible means when it talks about the sin of the world. It's talking about that in in a number of pictures and a number of definitions. It refers to it as as missing the mark. You know, we, we aim for something. And God says, that is the point that you should be getting to. And we fall short of that. and We miss it altogether. That is what sin is. Missing God's standards altogether. Sin is also described as breaking the law of God. God sets that out in his ten commandments. And none of us has kept the law of God. All of us have have stolen. Um, All of us have had thoughts that are less than worthy about God. Maybe some of us have committed some of the other things that are mentioned in the Ten Commandments. And maybe some of us who think that we've kept most of them We need the Lord Jesus to point out to us what he pointed out to the Pharisees who also felt that they'd kept them all. And he said, listen, let's dig a little bit deeper. It's not just about the surface. It's about the heart and the attitudes and the motives that we have as well. And it is breaking the law of God in your heart as well as in actuality. And all of us have broken the law of God and that is God's standard. And that is the sin. That is how we understand what sin is. Sin is not an illness. Sin is not a a mental health issue. It's a moral problem. And it's part of the bias and the tendency that we have in our own hearts. That we don't have to teach our children to do wrong. That there is a natural inclination that is in all of our hearts to live for ourselves and to be selfish at our core, and to look after ourselves. And there is a natural tendency not to believe in God, not to want 
to bow our heart before the authority of God and the Bible. These are all different ways in which we can define what sin is. Now, if I get you to turn over to the next chapter, chapter, well, chapter 3 actually, um, I, I'm going to read a verse where the Lord Jesus has some uh, comment on that. It's chapter 3, verse 18. And this is what he says. Whoever believes in him, in Christ, is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of the only Son of God. Sin means that we are condemned already. You know, we will have to, of course, stand before God one day. When we die, you know, we just don't, you know, molder in the grave like John Brown's body, you know. We, we are all going to have to stand before God one day. And, uh, you know, the final assize takes place then. There is a record that's kept of our lives. You know, all the things that we think, all the things that we've done, the things that we haven't done, that we should have done, that is all recorded. God knows everything about all of us. It's, it's, a, it's a frightening thought. And every one of us will have to stand individually before... Isn't that remarkable to think about that? That all the people that ever have ever lived, you know, in an individual sense, such as the greatness of God, he will have the capacity to assess and to scrutinize, and to analyze, and to come to a final judgment upon all of our lives individually. Everything will be kept and retained. And we will have to stand and answer for that before God. And the ultimate thing that we will have to answer for is the whole concept of belief. Belief in Christ. And those, as we read, who have not believed are condemned already. At this point, we stand in a position of being condemned before God. Now that is the reality of sin. That is the seriousness of sin. We'll come later on in our studies in John to chapter 8, I think it is. And Jesus actually says to a group of people, you know, you're going to die in your sin. And if you die in your sin, where I am, you, you will never be there. Of course, that again puts the whole seriousness of it into context. That, you know, Christ is in heaven. He's been raised from the dead. Heaven is the place of happiness, where the presence of God is, where there's no more tears, and there's no sorrow, and there's no illness, and there's no death. It's the perfect place. If we die while still having our sins undealt with, in our sin, we'll never be there. And that is, that is why the Lamb of God is presented. It is because of this issue of the sin of the world. And of course, we mustn't just think in a general, kind of vague sense of our world with all its problems and all its injustices and all its sins. We have to take this into our own individual setting and look at our own hearts and say, it's me that this is, this is referring to. My sin. And the Lamb of God is presented to take away the sin of the world, which refers to me as well. My sin. 
And sin is the reason that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And sin is the reason that he's presented on this occasion by John the Baptist. Third phrase. The Lamb of God, the sin of the world in between them is the phrase, who takes away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't come to entertain people. He didn't come to educate people. He came to take away the sin of the world. I can't take away my sin. There's nothing I can do that will make one jot of a difference. We often hear people being referred to as having redeemed themselves, of having been able to atone for their shortcomings or their sins. I mean, in reality, when we think about this this terrible issue, the poison, the corruption of sin that has infected us, you know, I can't I can't do anything about that. I do not have the wherewithal. You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says that nobody can redeem his own soul. Nobody can give to God a ransom for his own soul. Because the, 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 the cost of that is, is extremely valuable. It's of tremendous price. And it's only Christ, the Lamb of God, who can take away the sin of the world. I often think of that scene in Macbeth. You know, we did of Lady Macbeth after uh, her conscience starts to bother her and she's up in the night and she's trying to wash the blood off her own hands and no matter how hard she tries to do that, she's unable to achieve it. And it's a bit like Pontius Pilate as well, isn't it? Going out in front of the crowd and saying, you know, it's not my responsibility. I wash my hands of these affairs. You know, it's got nothing to do with me. And the reality of it all, of course, is it had an awful lot to do with him. And so does the whole issue of, of our sin. And it's, it's, it's the importance of coming to the point of understanding that no matter what I think I can contribute, it's impossible for me to have any kind of influence over the removal of the sins that I have committed in my life. I cannot influence that at all. And that's why this phrase is important. The Lamb of God takes it away. The Lamb of God comes to take away the sin of the world. This was always God's purpose. There's a verse actually in the book of Revelation chapter 13 which refers to to Christ as the Lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. This was always the part of God's purpose. The death of Christ. The crucifixion. And in the last book of the Bible, again in chapter 5, the fact of Christ's death will always be the theme of, of heaven's choir. The tremendous scene that's painted for us of Christ being there. 
and, and, and all the crowds and the multitudes of heaven which comprise angels in their different ranks and positions and status and, and humanity, those who have been saved and who are now in heaven and, the, and they're all amassed uh, in the presence of Christ. He's in the center of it all and, and there's a description that's given to him and he's referred to there as being the Lamb. John the writer the writer of this gospel who also writes Revelation, turns round and he sees the lamb. And this is the, this is the description. The lamb as though it had just been slain. He looked upon the lamb. And, and the point is that the effect and the importance and the vitality of, of what Jesus had achieved when he died upon the cross with all its potential to take away my sin. That's going to be the eternal theme of heaven's song. Because they all begin to erupt and sing, you know, worthy is the Lamb who was slain and who has redeemed us by His blood out of every nation, tribe, people, language group. Surrounding the throne that day, their song is a unified song. It's of Praise to the Lamb because of his death upon the cross. You know, he takes away the sin of the world. And of course, that's the tremendous message for us to grasp again this morning. That irrespective of whatever sins I have committed, irrespective of how my conscience affects me, Irrespective of how I go over and over these things that happened in my past and that continue to trouble me, the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, the power of what his death achieved when he laid it down on Calvary, that can take away, that can remove my sin so that when I stand before God, God looks at me he can see that my sins have been dealt with. Praise God. What a relief. Tremendous. Now, with all of these things, we come to the very final phrase to, to close things up today. And it's, and it's almost as if John is saying, you know, here's my presentation to you. Behold. Behold him. And what's the response going to be? It's interesting. We actually don't read immediately how the crowd responded. We don't know. But it's pretty clear how John wants us to respond, which takes us to the very first word of the verse when he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's saying to the people, I, wa I want you to look here. I, I want you to, to behold him. Now, that doesn't mean it's just a glance. It doesn't mean it's just a kind of passing look. It doesn't mean it's just a kind of cursory type of thing. When you use the word behold, it really means that you're looking, that you're concentrating, that you're fixing your eye, you're fastening your eye in a particular way on Christ. And th this is the way that John wants us to respond to his presentation. You know, for all of us today, whether... You know, this is, this is brand new, or whether it's something that we are familiar with. 
You know, it's how you start the Christian life, and it's how you continue to live the Christian life. It is beholding Christ. It is fixing the eyes of faith on the Lamb of God. Now, Matt was reminding us um, about the story that the children had been learning about the snake on the pole. And if you remember that story, there they are, lying in their tents, lying around the camp, half of them, you know, bitten by these vipers. And uh, Moses is told to put this bronze snake up on the pole. And the instruction that's passed round about to everybody in the camp is this. You know, if you want to be healed, what you have to do is you have to look. If you look, you will live. Look and you'll live. Now, if I was there, if you were there, and that was the kind of instruction that was given, I think if that pole was carried around throughout the whole camp, you know, and I was in my tent and, uh, you know, swelling up and, neurotoxic stuff and all the rest of it I, I, I would be pretty careful to make sure I could see this thing and I would be really looking and in my mind if I was looking I, was, I would be saying to myself I need to see this thing you know, if this is the way that I can be healed I need, to, I need to get a look at this because this is the only way that I'm going to be healed today and of course in John 3 when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus he uses this And the point that he's making is belief. You know, God so loved the world that he gives his only son that whoever believes in him, and that's all tied in with this idea of looking. It's the look of faith. It's beholding Christ in that way. You know, and it's good for us to just be brought to that point as we wrap this service up today. It's you know, is that the way that I have responded? Am I, am I beholding Christ in this sense? Here is what I need. He's the only one who can take away my sin. If I want to be in heaven, and if I want to stand before God and know that I have been pardoned, you know, He will know, He will have it recorded whether I have beheld Christ, whether I have looked to Christ, the Lamb of God, who died as my substitute, who shed his precious blood as the price that was required to take away my sin. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for the wonderful person of the Lord Jesus and all that he is and all that he can do for us. Help us as your people to, as John did, continually say, Behold the Lamb of God. Make that the reason for our lives and the purpose for this church. And for those of us who have known that perhaps for years, may it grasp us afresh. It's it's heaven's continual theme. May it be something that grips our hearts and souls again, the the wonder of the gospel message. And we pray for those who have never beheld Christ in this way before, that this might be the day in your mercy when their eyes will be opened to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we pray in his name, amen.